0: Welcome to Syracuse University's GradCast. My name is Dan Olson Bang, and I'm going to be joined today by Laura Spensley of SUNY Oswego, where she is a associate professor of uh, counseling and psychological services, as well as the associate dean of the graduate school. Today, we're going to talk about teaching statements, why they matter, how to make one stand out, how to be successful in it. So, um, Laura, thank you very much for joining us, and maybe you could start off with a little bit about your own experience with these and your your background.
1: Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk with you today. So I should uh, call out, I am a proud Syracuse University alum. I did my doctoral training in the psychology department with a specialty in school psychology. And one of the things that really drew me to Syracuse University was the opportunity to teach as a graduate student. Many of us, I think, across programs come in and we TA courses and those of us who have a particular interest in becoming a faculty have the opportunity to cultivate those skills through things like future professors and other groups like that. Funny enough, I was not one of those students, um, despite my advisors very strong suggestions to pursue a faculty position. I I really was not interested in this area of work. Um, It wasn't until I was entering the job market in my last year that I really started to look at the opportunity to teach and be a faculty member more seriously. Um, Let me be really clear, I would not recommend that pathway to (laughs) listeners, Um, though certainly it is a, um, a bit of an example that Those of us who find our way to faculty ship often do so in a nonlinear way. And so if you are in your last year of your doctoral program thinking there's no opportunity for me to become a professor, that's just not an accurate statement. So let's put that out there. So after that nonlinear path to faculty ship, I actually was fortunate enough to take a position at SUNY Oswego. We are in the SUNY system what's considered a regional comprehensive institution. So we offer undergraduate degree programs in what I would say is kind of the typical liberal arts, hard sciences portfolio, uh, but we also do offer more than 40 graduate degree programs. For me, it was really that combination of the opportunity to be at a state institution, though, you know, obviously my heart is as a Syracuse alum, my path to Syracuse was in public education, and I really felt strongly and feel strongly that strong public schools offer really robust opportunities for folks to realize their American dream. And so on a personal level, it just really spoke to me to have the opportunity to contribute to that mission. But on the other side of it, one of the things that really scared me away from pursuing a career as a faculty member was the model that I was exposed to in an R1 private institution where I could see that a lot of my mentors and faculty were under this publish or perish sort of stress, that was not how I wanted to spend my life, working as a faculty member. The things that I loved were teaching the science of school psychology, working with future practitioners, and really seeing what change is possible in supporting students with disabilities and really empowering them to live their best lives. And so for me, the opportunity to be at a public institution where teaching was a focus, not something that we had to do as um, a kind of checkbox to meet departmental needs really spoke to my own kind of internal values as a as a professional.
0: Sure, thanks for that. So, I guess given your your credentials and having established your your role in this, um, you you are the kind of person who would know um, what what goes into this and what values you'd want to signal. So. Let's start at the, at the very fundamentals here. So what is a teaching statement? Why does a teaching statement matter? Do people actually read this document?
1: I love that question so much. These are the questions that I asked myself as I was entering the job market. Um, Teaching statements, they really are what the name implies. I like to think of them as a teaching philosophy statement. They're really designed to give search committees some insight into how a future colleague is going to approach their work with students, whether it's in large undergraduate courses of 800 students down to the sort of work that I do with students. which is with graduate students only in classes of no more than 15. So what it's designed to do is offer a snapshot into a candidate's philosophy around, quite frankly, teaching and learning in the classroom and how they see themselves uh, contributing to the institution's mission in teaching and training students. Um, I think that kind of tackles the first half of the question. So what is it? People do read them, particularly at institutions like mine, and this is where I'd encourage applicants to positions to really do their homework about the institution to which you're applying. You know, not every university, college, public, private, tiny, massive school is going to have the same needs for their faculty to be teaching. And so the way that I wrote my teaching philosophy for SUNY Oswego would probably be a little bit different than how I would write it if I were be going to be going to a large public institution where I'm teaching only introduction to psychology courses with more than a few hundred students. So really doing your homework around... In the job ed, they typically list what sorts of classes you'll be expected to teach. You can typically find information about the size of the department, whether you'll be teaching in the undergraduate and or graduate space. And so having that information on the front end can really help you cater your teaching statements to the institution that you're looking to work for. Um, That being said, They're typically, um, and I say typically, you know, like anything, we faculty don't necessarily love to follow boilerplate rules with these sorts of things, but at Oswego, I typically don't want to see applicants give me more than one to two pages of a teaching statement. Um, and teaching is one of our priorities. We're a teaching institution. We take a lot of pride in that. But keep in mind that your teaching statement or philosophy is one document in a in a cadre of documents in an application. And so it's a supplemental document that gives us a bit of insight to see, is this someone that I want to invite to my campus to give a teaching demonstration as part of their online on-campus interview. So you want to really be building these kind of powerful nuggets of insight into what that could look like if you have the opportunity to visit campus.
0: I love that idea of nuggets of insight. You know, one of the things that I think about with the teaching statement that I see that's really good is I view it as kind of a camera in the back of the classroom that shows what you're like with students, and Absolutely. Yeah, and what's really important to get across to people is just that this is not some highfalutin. Um, now, there are fields where you might get highfalutin, like if you're in education, but in many fields, it's 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 really just about great activities that you do with students or the way that you've worked with somebody and changed their lives for the better. And so it really gives a sense, like you said, those nuggets of insight, uh, which often translate, I think, into anecdotes about your successes and, and work as a teacher. Although one thing to say about that is I've actually seen really good statements that talk about the failures of teachers and how they've adjusted over time to, you know, to get better. I, I, I worked with somebody and his statement started off with him saying, you know, I thought that all you need to do is explain things to people and it will go great. And, uh, you know, you get in the classroom and you know, that's going to flop and it did. <laughs> and then so, so what do you do to, to adjust? How do you show that you're a reflective teacher? And so I think those things are all really great. Um, like you said, I love that. Nuggets of wisdom, um, of, of insight into what you're like and how you would be with a 19-year-old or, you know, if you're working with grad students with a 28-year-old.
1: Absolutely. And I want to piggyback on something that you said there, and that sometimes I think folks think that they have to paint this rosy picture that they've never struggled in a classroom or that they're coming to campus armed with every instructional strategy, a fully kind of actualized philosophy of teaching. And the reality is, we know that folks don't come to campuses empowered with all of that knowledge or having done everything perfectly. So, another thing to really reflect on to use your word is what campus supports exist for developing instructors. I know Syracuse has a number of programs, trainings, uh, groups of both formal and informal that meet on campus, SUNY Oswego is really similar. And that's again, where I think you can do your homework about the institution where you're applying to say, maybe I don't come to this campus with a lot of experience leading a classroom, but here's how I'm going to use the resources available to me to help cultivate the work that I'm doing with my students. And I think so much of that um, relates to how you're going to be a mentor to them. An ally to them, those first gen students, students that are having difficulty um, acclimating to a campus community, whether it's non traditional students coming back to higher education after 20 years and really signaling how you're going to support every student that walks through that door, not just how you're going to teach, you know, 18th century philosophy to 19 year olds.
0: As if that's not enough of a teaching challenge, right? Absolutely, right? (laughs) Um, So what are some elements? We've talked sort of broadly, I guess, so far. But what are some of the pieces that go into uh, this one- to two-page document that you're describing?
1: Sure, it's a great question. And this is where I would encourage folks, um, I'm not going to promote any certain sort of search tool, but poke around the internet and take a peek at what folks have put out there. Um, You're going to want to organize it in a cohesive way. It's It's not informal. It's meant to be a formal discussion and presentation of your philosophy in teaching and instructing. And so I would say take it seriously on the front end. You know, I've already said folks read these, but remember this is your. Um, projection of yourself to your future employers. And so it's really important that, you know, on the front end, proofread it. Make sure you're talking about the right institution. Make sure you're talking about um, the right type of institution. If you're applying for heavy research versus heavy teaching, you're going to want to write different letters. Um, Really customize them to the institution that you're applying to and do your research there as well. There's really no excuse with today's technology and access to information, whether you know someone through LinkedIn or you meet them at a conference or you're just doing a website search, you can really get a good sense of the teaching requirements and um, let's say kind of general climate on the campus. But more importantly, I like to think of a teaching philosophy statement as almost like you've kind of highlighted already, Dan, it's a snapshot into what I could expect to see from you if I'm popping into a classroom. And so I think of it as kind of having three layers. The kind of first layer is your overall philosophy around education. And this does not need to be highfalutin, right? Um, I've already kind of shared mine. Mine is that education is a pathway to the American dream. Right. That would be a theme that I personally would include in my in my teaching statement. I think I did include it in my teaching statement, Uh, but then really breaking that down into a more specific and domain specific discussion. So for me as a school psychologist, you know, that incorporates a number of my ethical practices as someone who respects the rights of all people, recognizes that diversity of thought and perspective is a great thing, but that also comes with, so how do we address this in the classroom? And so giving those examples of some activities that I've done or how I set up my class or even pedagogically, what is my goal in teaching? And that would look a little bit different if I know that I'm walking into teaching, again, those 100 level gen ed courses versus the work that I do in training future school psychologist. And so I think the best recommendation that I can give to folks about writing a good cover letter is give yourself time to do a good job and gather the information that you need to really cater the, the information or the letter to the institution you're looking to work for.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think that one thing that people ignore is that while this statement can work in, in sort of a large way from institution to institution, schools care about their own identity, and they want you to care about it, because you're planning, hopefully, on going there. And one thing I always tell people, and many people resist this advice, is if you're not going to do it, somebody else will. And so better to be you if you want to increase your chances of, of this working out for you.
1: Absolutely. And let me say, you know, I've been on a number of hiring committees for a number of different positions, whether it's adjunct instructors, tenure track faculty, other administrators. And I'll be really honest, we want to hire folks that are going to be successful on our campus. And at a campus like ours, being successful in the classroom is the thing that we weight the heaviest in that tenure review folder. And so, again, we don't expect that our candidates are coming to campus as fully actualized instructors or universities professors, but we do need to see that they're on the right track with maybe they've not had a ton of experiences, but they've looked for informal ways to be a leader or to be an instructor or to TA courses. And they've started to reflect on what they'll need to be successful and can confirm that our campus can actually offer that to them.
0: Um, And you're looking for potential, right? That's the critical piece. Is this person going to is going to work out? And so a lot of statements are not revealing enough of what you're like for somebody to make that judgment call. And if they do make that judgment call, it'll be, this person is really boring because I'm reading this really boring statement. (laughs)
1: You know, I do want to pick up, I mean, yes, absolutely. I love to see people's personality in their teaching statements. I will be really honest. I have the luxury of working with graduate students where I think I can be, I don't want to say a little bit less formal, but a little bit more personable. I'm training my future colleagues in the field. Um, But when I read someone's teaching statement, I really do want to sense what they would be like leading a classroom. I wanna know if they're gonna joke, I wanna know if they're gonna welcome students, get to know them, particularly again at a university like mine. But you had said something really important about talking about failures or opportunities for growth. And I just wanna emphasize that, you know, if you've had an opportunity to teach previously as you're crafting your your statement take a look back at your teaching evaluations what were some of the things that folks really highlighted as your strengths they may not be the things that you necessarily think of in reflecting on your teaching and also reflect on their recommendations for change and how are you going to use those to inform your your next round of classes in at my institution, this is something that we address in our continuing appointment materials is incorporating. Te- um, classroom feedback into improvements in the curriculum and course delivery. And so just getting into that practice of we work in iterations, not every time that we offer a course, is it going to be the best time we offer the course, but showing that you can grow from that feedback and are willing to hear students really goes a long way to demonstrate that readiness to come onto a college campus as an instructor.
0: So now we're on to, um, Potentially my favorite part which is the bloopers. What are the kinds of mistakes that people commonly make that you would do well to avoid?
1: Yeah, so in my field um, as a helping professional, the personal essay about the long and deep history of family dysfunction is one that I would strongly dissuade you from (laughs) including in a teaching statement. Uh, That's not to say that sharing vulnerabilities is always a bad thing. I think there could be a really powerful message there um, for a number of reasons, but I think the biggest recommendation there is really reflect on what the goal is here. The goal is to give folks a snapshot of your teaching acumen and potential as we've said. And so I would avoid including anything that doesn't contribute to that mission. This is not the time to talk about what you like to do for fun. This is not the time to talk about um, your grant funding. This is not necessarily the time to talk about your scholarship unless you're going into an institution where your teaching and research is inextricably linked. And there are certainly those positions out there. Um, so I think going going off of that is being too long in the tooth. You know, folks don't need an entire expository essay on how you came to higher education and every barrier that you've overcome. We really want those, again, let's you stay, stick with that term of powerful nuggets that will predict your success or your fit for that campus. And so any of that construct irrelevant relevant noise that gets added, you know, I was consistently rated as the nicest ta in my area i mean okay that's great but that doesn't necessarily tell us that you're a good instructor for example um i've seen them that are very short like a paragraph that say i'm committed to doing a good job teaching and i'll do whatever it takes that is equally unhelpful in (laughs) helping us understand or evaluate your fitness for a position on our campus and so i think of them as the The tone that you want to strike with them is they complement the rest of the application materials from your cover letter, your statement of research, et cetera. Uh, but they don't leave folks saying, "Well, I don't need to see that person teach." You want it's a teaser to what we can expect to see from you on campus.
0: To those um, issues, bloopers, things to avoid, I would say, um, and this is something that comes out of um, the, you know the ones that I've been reviewing. Sort of prior to being sent out, but I see a ton of pseudo highfalutin language. I see a lot of people talking about creating global citizens, critical thinking, um, and who knows what else. I'm a student-centered teacher. I do a combination of mini lessons and um, lectures. I I hold office hours. I mean, some of the things that that you're describing in this are just ways of saying. I do the job that I'm required to do. Of course you do teaching. You know, Of course <laughs> exactly. you have office hours. That's a requirement. You didn't make up that idea. Um, and so a lot of these, by not having nuggets in them, by not having something concrete in them, they fall into this kind of, of territory where, where nothing is real. It's just this kind of set of platitudes
1: That's a great way to say it, that set of platitudes. Um, So how to avoid that? You know, ask a friend, a mentor, your advisor. Um, If you yourself read this and say, I am just saying words and I'm not telling people a story, you know, that's that's an opportunity to really reflect and revise that statement. And I would I would err on rather than putting this, you know, five page document of 5000 words out there build it like you're going to build any sort of compelling argument. Start with your bullets, build it out like you learned how to write essays, and include evidence of each statement. If you're saying that you are going to build global citizens, give an example of an activity that you did that you're really proud of that would demonstrate a learning outcome that's related to appreciation for diversity or global cultures or something like that.
0: And in this case, I, I think you're totally right. In, in the case of a teaching statement, anecdotes are evidence, Exactly. they are your proof and exactly. so you really need to have that if you are avoiding that or or can't provide that um, you're you're gonna write a vague kind of um, you know not very valuable statement and something that's very forgettable now some people will say and and you know Lord it sounds like this is different for you at SU but there are a lot of people at Syracuse who um, may have done some teaching assistantships, but haven't been full instructors. And one thing I would say about that, and that's different from my experience, I taught 12 classes before I finished my PhD. But what I would say about that phenomenon is that you should be a little bit capacious about how you think about teaching. So it's office hours, it's encounters with students, it's guest lecturing, emails. There are a lot of different contexts in which you as I said, for, for what we're talking about for which you change the lives of students for the better.
1: I mean, and that's where I would encourage folks, if you yourself haven't had a whole lot of experience independently running a classroom, that's okay, right? Don't let that dissuade you from applying to faculty positions. You know, many of us come into this role as tiny little baby instructors and spend the first five to seven years pre-tenure really working on honing and developing those skills. There's a place for you. There are resources for you. So I just want to call that out really clearly. Absolutely. But if you haven't had those direct experiences as an instructor, talk about the things that were meaningful for you as a learner and how you would use those to build in a more accessible class, a more diverse discussion in class, more meaningful to students, more related to the professional domain of your your practice. All of those can be really, really powerful signals to say, look, I haven't had the opportunity to do it yet, but here's how I'm planning to bring my skills and knowledge to this role.
0: Laura, uh, thanks so much for, for joining us. I think this has been a really interesting discussion and a, a great window into uh, really your experience in, in reading these and in, in the kind of intersection between your own experience as an instructor and your experience as a, uh, an interviewer and reader of job material. So thank you very much for joining us. This has been Syracuse University's GradCast. We'll see you next time.